page 1646 in your pew Bible, we're looking at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 today. And if you remember the last time uh, I was before you here, that we were uh, going through, we were in 1 John chapter 3. We're talking about how we are to be servants as Jesus was the example of, our, of a servant. Here today, uh, we're looking at the topic of our devotion. So, page 1646 in your pew Bibles, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Let us know. Uh, 1646. Are you there? Is that the right page number? So, yeah, 1646. I'm sorry, 16. 1646. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Let us hear God's holy word. Do not... Love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. Now as John is writing to the Christ, to Christians here in our portion of Scripture, and we know that he is writing to Christians because just before there, in, chapter, uh, in this chapter in verses 12 through 14, he says this, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. And I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked ones. So John is writing to Christians. And as he does throughout this book, he's encouraging them in their battle to stay away from darkness and to walk in light. And John is challenging the church members here to examine their allegiance, that is, the allegiance of their hearts and their minds and their souls. And this battle that raged on in the first century with our brothers and sisters in that time it still rages with us today. Think about it. Day after day, we're pounded with things off the internet, products that profess ungodly things, magazines, billboards, television, whatever you got. We're constantly having our affections abided for by the world with everything that it says it has to offer. And it is a battle indeed. In our present day, 
as we are here on earth, our sanctification, that is, our growth in Jesus Christ as we become forming more and more to His image, and our devotion to Him is tested. And this is why John encourages the believer to examine who it is they love. Here John gives three ways for the Christian to know if they truly love God. Our first point we see in uh, verse 15 is the way of the Christian. Now John starts this portion off with a directive, a warning. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. John, right off the bat, is striking right at the hearts of our spiritual state. Right at its core. Christian, he says, do not love the world. Now some of you might be asking this question as you hear John say this. What's wrong with love? Aren't we supposed to love? And what is wrong with the world? Did God not create it? Well, let's first of all, let's talk about what type of love John is referring to here. Now, the Bible speaks of many different types of love. It talks about the love between a man and a woman. It talks about brotherly love, as we see back in chapter 2 and verse 10 of this book. It also talks about the love that God has for us. But here, the type of love that John is referring to is a love that is really about us, what we find our joy in, what we are gratified by, what satisfies us, what we put our hopes in. See, Christians, we're not supposed to be satisfied by the world. Now, what is John talking about with the world? After all, did John not create the world? And think about the way the Scriptures talk about the world. We see right off the bat in Genesis 1 that God created the world. He created all these things, right? And that also if we go into the Gospel of John, as we read earlier in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. So what is this world? If God loves it, then what's going on here? Well, first of all, the world that we saw earlier in John 3.16 God's talking about His elect peoples. God loves His elect peoples and He sent His only begotten Son for them. Here, John, that same John that wrote the Gospel of John, has a very different meaning of the world, word world. He's talking about the worldly, satanic system. That is anything that is contrary to the will of God. What's being said here is that if you love the world, then you will not have the love of the Father in them. Now, that's an interesting statement, is that you will not have the love of the Father. There's a couple of ways to look at that. One, it means you could not have a God-like love inside you. right? You do not have the love of the Father. That's one possible way to look at it. Or you could say that it's not something you kind of keep with you. Okay? Because that's the way. But I think 
and you won't hear me say this too much, but I believe the NIV has it right here. When it's translated, they do not love God, or as the NIV says, love for the Father is not in them. So, right off the bat, in this passage, John is saying to us, you either love the world, or you love the Father. James, in chapter 4, verse 4, puts it this way. He says, Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes themselves an enemy of God. Think about this. You understand this concept. You've seen the movies, and you see that there's a, let's say there's some sort of a gangster henchman or something. And then you see you got the hero, right? And he goes, and next you see him talking to somebody, and then you realize that the guy that he was talking to is actually working for the, the bad guy henchman, right? And you see that now you don't want your hero to have an association with this bad guy, right? Or maybe you know somebody from school that was somebody you didn't want to associate with. Or maybe you have children that have friends that come around and you see that you don't want them. You And you will tell them, you either make a choice. You either stay over here and walk this way. But if you stay over here and you flirt with this situation... You're going to find yourself in a world of trouble. And that's exactly what is going on here, is that we either have the love for the world or love for God. Notice, it is a binary system. That means you've got two choices. There is no middle ground. Think of Exodus 32. Verses 25 through 28. Moses has gone up to the mountain and he's spending time with God, and Israel's getting impatient. And then what do they do here? They say, they say to Aaron, Hey, this this isn't right. We, we, We need to do something else. Next thing you know, they're collecting gold. And what do they do? They build a golden calf. And God becomes angry, doesn't He? And so, think of this passage here in Exodus 32 and verses um, 25 through 28 where God is dealing dealing with Israel through Moses. and, And He says, Now when Moses saw the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them, to their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother every man his companion and every man his neighbor so the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day so you see that Moses there way back here early in the scriptures mankind is forced to either choose idols False gods or choose the true God. 
Jesus even adds to this later on. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says to us, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. There's no, there's no middle ground. There's no gray area. You cannot have a love and desire for the worldly system and put your hopes and desires and dreams into that and truly love God. So as we look here, we see that the love of the Christian is solely devoted. He solely puts his hopes, his joy, and his love in God. And he turns away from such things. Then John gives us a comparison here. The second way that he shows us is the way of the world. Now first of all, this is an extremely important passage here in chapter 16. I mean, verse 16. Uh, I have so many people tell me that they don't know what to pray and what to pray for. And this is a wonderful passage to pray through. As John says that this is the way of the world, this is exactly what a Christian can pray to God for and say, Lord, keep me from this. Keep me from these things. And as you see, as we're laid out here, we have a holy triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's as if John right here gives us a, a worldly trinity, a satanic trinity, a trinity of sin. And notice that our first two are inner sins. And the last is an outer sin. It's a fruit from the first two, if you will. So look at our first one, the lust of the flesh. First thing... I want to make clear is that John is not teaching Gnosticism. In fact, he's fighting that in this book. What is Gnosticism? It's the belief that, uh, among other things, but particularly to this point here, the belief that matter is evil. And when I say matter, I'm talking about your flesh, the tree, the metal, this wood, those things. It's not evil. So, What's, so what is exactly going on here? Um, what John is really getting to here is he's revealing uh, a description of what our fallen nature is. An ungodly physical desire. So lust of the flesh is anything that is outside of a biblical marriage between man and woman and nothing else. And I do mean marriage. If and you can, and so when you talk about anything that's lust of the flesh or evil sexual desire, any of those things, anything that's outside of that, you can just throw it in the, you can just throw it in a, that drawer, whap, and it goes into the evil desires. So, where does this come from, right? Where does this all begin? Notice that this lust of the flesh, this this, this desires. We have a little hint coming here in the lust of the eyes. That's our second part. Notice Satan's first temptation back in Genesis 3 6. What happened? Eve saw the apple was good and then she desired it, right? That's right. So 
right there, right in, uh, right as Satan encounters mankind, right the first of the world, the first thing he does is play upon her eyes. And that doesn't excuse Adam because he saw the apple too, didn't he? Saw that he was eating it, enjoying it. Next thing you know, he has a desire to eat of that apple. And a lot, and if you look, there's a lot of similarity between Genesis 3-6 and this passage here. Not to the T, not to the core, but you can see it unfold as it goes on. They, they first looked, then they desired, and then they ate. And it grew from there. And this is a tactic that, that Satan uses on all of us. And I'll tell you what, Jesus himself wasn't <laughs> alone. Remember when uh, Jesus was called? Up into the uh, up into the mountains to go and uh, spend time for himself with himself, and Satan came to him and tempted him. And do you remember he walked him out on the ledge, and what did he do? He said, "Look at all these kingdoms. Look, all these kingdoms. If you worship me, I'll give them to you." So think of that. There, it's such a tool of Satan's. It's in his go bag that not only does John write about it here, not only was it part of a, the the, our, the fall of mankind, but Satan tried to use it with our Lord and Savior. Look. And appealed to what he thought he could appeal to him for. But thankfully, our Lord and Savior did not give in. He resisted the temptation. He did not uh, fall to what his eyes saw. And he did not desire it. So how does this apply back to the lust of the flesh? Well, think about Jesus also. Matthew 5, 28. He said, uh, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery. Look. I say to you whoever looks. So it starts there with the eyes. The third sin that he pulls up here is the pride of life. One um, translation calls this arrogant boasting of riches. Now I see some more gray hair in here like mine and that's a good thing. But if you remember back in the day there was a show called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Who remembers that? And you remember what this maybe the more the, the newer version of that would be uh, MTV Cribs or something like that. And what would you do? You'd go to these rich, famous people's houses and you would see these uh, mansions and these expensive cars. I can remember distinctly, one guy was like, this is a 1970 Ferrari. It's the only one left in the world like this. It's worth $2 million. He was kind of tapping on it like it was all that. You know, it was, it was so important to him that that was what it was. But that's basically what is... John is getting to here with this that this uh, this uh, this pride of life, these things that you have here, these possessions you have here, and how they relate to the satanic system that you boast about it. And also think about this: is that is this not at the root of the tenth commandment? Thou shalt not covet. We see it. We want it. And this this month in particular pulls these things together in an interesting way. You can look around now and see all these flags that are flying, seeing all these displays, like you, you go in, like you want to order some 
chips or something on their net and there's this colorful display and this company's name that this normally not there but it's there this time of month right and so what what are they saying here they're saying that we we support this lifestyle we find it good we want to put it in front of you And now your eyes are being tempted. And those who have a weakness for that, once they see that, they'll start to desire it. And then what do they do? They themselves will start walking down parades and avenues, flying those colors, dressing in inappropriate ways, and shoving it in your face. Think about this. Earlier I mentioned that... um, you can take any sort of sexual desire that's outside of uh, marriage between a man and a woman and put it in that box, this sinful sexual lust of the flesh. What if, what if a whole group of people across the world decide, that had committed adultery decided that they were going to make a flag for themselves and, and walk down the street? Hey, we've committed adultery. Look at us. They're boasting about their sinfulness, their worldliness, their love for the things that are not of God. Now maybe you're asking, hold on, hold on. But what if what if what they're doing truly is love? Let's say it's not lust since you use that word, since John uses that word. Well, first of all, Again, it's outside of marriage. It's outside of God's command between uh, a man and a woman in marriage. It's also anything that falls in that box is also outside of His will. Therefore, it doesn't become a true love like what God is directing us to in that matter. It becomes a worldly love. A A worldly desire. And see, and as they do this, as they pound these flags, and as they, as they change the meaning of words, and they don't deal with things in, the, uh, in a, a way that, will, uh, that doesn't glorify themselves, they want to win you over. It's a true battlefield for your mind. It's a battlefield for your heart. It's a battlefield for your affections. It, you, you either accept these, this new morality and throw away God's morality, or you will hold to God's morality and throw away the new morality. You'll say, you'll say, hey, that's not right. I don't want that. Turn it away from me. Lord, protect my eyes. Protect my heart. Protect, my, uh, protect me putting any confidence in any things of this world. Or you give in. Or you give some sort of leeway. Now, This is not a good path. One thing, this is not how Jesus taught us to live. If you see a Christian saying, it's okay to give leeway in these directions, I want to remind you of Jesus' words. In Matthew six nineteen through 21, He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys 
and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How does that apply here? If we are not living God's way, if we're not turning away from the will of the world to His will, it's going to one day be destroyed. And that's where we come to our next point. The way of eternity, as we see in verse 17. Now, this is a temporal world. That means this world that you and I are sitting in right now is not going to last forever. If you go back to Genesis and the Lord looked upon the world and He regretted man, He sent a flood, did He not? He destroyed the world. But next time, when He judges the world, it will not be by water. It will be by fire. It's in this love of the world, everything included in it, the satanic system, these things that people are holding to, their sinful desires, their riches that are not honoring God, their uh, looking upon those uh, with ungodly desires, it's all going to be burned up. Look at, um, listen to Second Peter uh, Verses three, chapter three, verses uh, six and seven. Peter says it this way: "By which the world that then existed perished." Talking about Noah's world, it perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. So what is being said here? It's that this love for worldly things, this love for ungodly desires, this love of these things that are going to one day be destroyed, it's an empty love and it returns void. Think of it like this. Think of a a relationship to where somebody really cares about the other person. And they're always listening. And they're always caring for. And they're always worried about. And they're giving all their attention to. But yet, that person that's getting all that attention does not return that to the one who is giving them all those things. It's a bankrupt system. It's empty. It's 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 stupid. You will get nothing in return. Or as one commentator says, loving the satanic worldly system is like trying to catch air in your hand. Ecclesiastes chapter five verses ten and eleven puts it this way: He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver nor he who loves abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. 
So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? The want of worldly things is never ending for those who love it. And they will never be satisfied. They will never grasp enough. They will be left for a, a des- with a desire for a dying world. Think about this. If you love the world, you actually love what hates you. If you abide in the world, if you go and desire those things, it will destroy you. Just like this world will be burned up in fire, those who do not love God will be thrown into the lake of fire. And for eternity, for this empty love that is practiced now, they will shake their fist and their hand at God every day for eternity. But John contrasts this here. He contrasts this empty love with what it is to love God. Notice in verse 17, John says, Who does the will of God abides forever. And that is actually the fulfillment of the gospel. That we turn away from a worldly devotion and turn all of our heart to God. 2 Peter 4, verses 1 and 2 puts it this way, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. When we turn our desires from the will of the world and towards the will of God, gospel is coming to life in us. When our hearts turn from the lust of men and turn to God, we have a full promise here of eternal life. We will abide forever. We will not be destroyed. We will not be unfulfilled. We will not be filling ourselves with empty sinful desires, but living a life full of hope and knowing a true love that will not return empty. And that is what godly wants, God ultimately wants for us. is for us to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To do His will is the will of the Father. John 6.38, it says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the, Father, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all, out of all He has given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Do you, do you hear that? Loving God, doing His will, believing in the Son, Jesus Christ, it's a full promise that you will live eternally and that you'll be raised up on the last day. So how can you help fight this? Again, it's in your heart. It's in your mind. You're fighting it every day. If something is presented before you, 
The first thing you do is a heart check. You see something and you go, is my response to looking at that honoring God? Did I have a fleshly reaction to that? Or did I have a God-honoring reaction to that? Moving on from that, the lust of the flesh. When you start thinking about the things that will fulfill you uh, in the world, check with it. When I think of a potential wife, am I, am I thinking of only physical issues? Or am I considering a God-centered covenant relationship with someone who that I know God had designed to be a helper or if you are seeing things and they're like, hey, you, you, you're, not, you're not up with the times. This is the way you should be thinking about things. You should be accepting of this. And if you start to feel yourself go, okay, I mean, we can give people a break, right? I mean, we don't want to make enemies of things. Now, I'm not saying be abusive to anybody or starting fights or anything. What I'm saying is, don't let your heart go there. Because another lust of the flesh is to yourself be accepted. That you want the world to like you. So, don't let your desires become centered on things that either uh, uh, will lead you into an ungodly path of either fulfilling a need that you should not be wanting to fulfill or bringing yourself into uh, being accepted for man. And the third thing, arrogance and riches, pride of life. How can you fight that? Well, what if one night your buddies call and they want you to go to one of these restaurants where the servers could be wearing more clothing or... Um, you're invited to go to a concert that um, will be playing ungodly music. You can reverse and take that time to say, hey, you know what? Let's not go there. Let's, let's not spend our money in that way. Let's not do that. I'll tell you what, once you come over here to my house and have dinner, and afterwards, won't, after, after we do that, let's pray. Let's sing psalms. And we can do that here in this room together and grow in the Lord. And if they turn you down, it's okay, right? Because you're, you're not wanting to please man, right? You're not wanting to fulfill that lust of the flesh. You want to please God and do His will. So the Scriptures tell us of those who've also done this sort of thing. In closing, we'll talk about a man named Demas. In Colossians 4, Chapter 4, he is said to be a hard laborer for the gospel. This is a man who's going around with Paul preaching the gospel, helping grow and build the church. It's the first time we see him. The second time we see him is in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Do you know what Paul says about him there? This Demas? It says, Demas deserted him 
because he loved the present world. To love the world is to leave the apostolic faith. You've chosen what will destroy you. Leave hoping in the world and love the Father by putting your joy, hope, and satisfaction in the gospel of His Son, Jesus Christ. Put your devotion nowhere else. Because in that, you'll be fulfilled. You'll have eternal life. And you'll be raised on the last day. And there's nothing else that will do that for you. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you that when our hearts are turned towards you, that the love you return to us is is not bankrupt. It's not catching the wind with our hand. It's not an empty promise. You sent your son to do your will and to show us what it means to do your will. And that is to believe in your son with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul. Lord, where we are lacking, fill us. Where we are tempted, turn us. Where our desires are not godly desires, squash it. Lord, we thank you that you've promised that we will one day be glorified and that these worldly things that draw us and tempt us and slash at us with its fangs and its talons will one day be no more. And we do ask that you bring that. Lord, come. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.